I've shared this story before, but I asked folks in the first service, do you remember this story? And they said, no, we really don't. And so I'm going to share it again. I shared it about eight, ten years ago. My son, Benjamin, played football for Lutheran High School. And we were at one particular game up in the mountains. He was a sophomore in high school. We knew their team was going to be really good his junior and senior year, but he was a sophomore, a lot of sophomores on the team. We knew that we were going to get beat pretty bad at this town up in the mountains that will remain anonymous, okay? So the game is going on, and the public address announcer was so ridiculous with his comments and annoying with what he had to say. He was saying stuff like this in front of the thousand fans who were there that day. Oh, we're just beating the Lutheran kids so badly. Look at our kids. They're just trouncing the opposition. Lutheran just didn't bring it today, and obviously we're on our A game, and on and on and on. He's going on like that the entire game. Finally, it got to the middle of the third quarter, and I could take it no more. I had to stand up for my son and stand up for our team, and from the top row of the bleachers, I said this. Hey! Do I need to come over there and take that microphone and slam it down your throat? And right then, someone turned around and said, Pastor Allman! Was that you? And I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I messed up. And after that, I'll never forget it, I'm out in the parking lot, and Tim Caddow, um, who is a dear friend of mine, goes to Bethlehem. His kids grew up with our kids. Every one of his kids, four kids, were in the same class as our four older kids, so we saw each other, hung out with each other at all these sporting events. After that, we're out in the parking lot. I'll never forget what he said to me. This was on a Saturday. He said, it's a good thing you're going to church tomorrow. <laughs> Why did he say that? Because he's a Lutheran. And Lutherans, when we do stuff, there's a reason why we do it, okay? I want to ask you, do you mess up? Oh, yeah, you do. The Bible says that we're to be perfect, even as our Heavenly Father is perfect. When we compare what we do, what we say, what we leave undone and unsaid to what God's standard is, we know we what? Mess up, right? When we compare our life to what the Word of God says, when we read the Word, like the Sermon on the Mount or the Ten Commandments, it convicts us of our sin and we know we failed once again. You see, the law of God is like a mirror. It demonstrates, it shows, it articulates just how far we've fallen. We compare our life to the standard of the Ten Commandments, and indeed, those Ten Commandments become a mirror, and oftentimes we don't like what we see. When we compare our life to what they say, it's not like we brag and we say, hey, take a look at my life. I've got life figured out. I've got it wired. No, the Ten Commandments don't lie. And one of their primary purposes is to help us realize we fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of that standard. We compare our life to what they say, and we know we mess up. And as a result of that, we can't look at our life and say, I got it figured out. Church is a place for broken, shattered sinners. I've said this many times. Church is not a rest home for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. 
You can write that down. That's not an original with me. It's not a rest home for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. So we come here on a Sunday morning broken and battered by our sin. Amen? We come here and we feel bad about the stuff we've done. We feel bad about the stuff we've said, and we realize we've messed up, and so we want to lift, a spiritual lift, when we come to church. And so that brings us to this thing called confession and absolution. And the word absolution means word of forgiveness. It means conveying God's grace. So where I'm going to walk you through today why we do what we do, and it's really, really important. Now, some of you might be saying, now, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, um, can't I think about my baptism and the covenant relationship that God made in my baptism? Isn't that good? Yes, that's good. Can't I tell myself that I'm forgiven and just remind myself that God's blood, that Christ's blood covers all my sins and because he shed his blood on the cross, can't I tell myself that I'm forgiven? Yes. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, when I read the word and I tell myself that and I think of my baptism, I'm affirmed of God's grace and I know that I'm forgiven, so why do I need to come to church and think about my sin and confess my sin and then be absolved? Do you want the answer for that? Do I have you hooked? Please say yes just to pacify me. Yes, okay, yes, okay, yeah, I, okay. So I'm going to tell you today why Why? This thing called absolution is so important. And why we do it as Lutherans. Because you're right. You can think of your baptism. You can read God's word. You can assure yourself that you're under God's grace. You can tell yourself that you're forgiven. And so you might be thinking that kind of invalidates what you do in church, doesn't it? Absolutely not. So let's look at the two parts. First of all, let's talk about confession and what that is. Now confession is the ability that we have to say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. We're basically confessing known and unknown sins. Sins of thought, word, and deed, what we've done and left undone, what we've said and left unsaid. It is offending God and knowing that we've broken his laws and then simply saying, God, be merciful to me as sinner. You can't possibly enumerate every sin in 30 seconds of confession or a minute or five minutes or whatever it is. So what are you doing in confession? You're just laying your whole sinful life, listen to this, your whole sinful life before God saying, I am a sinner through and through. I admit it. I've broken God's commands. I've fallen short of his standard. I don't measure up to what he wants me to be. I confess my sin. I don't have life figured out. I am a broken vessel. I've offended you, God, by thought, word, and deed, what I do and leave undone, what I say and leave unsaid, both intentional and non-intentional sins. I lay it all before you. So in that simple statement, when we say, confess your sins, admit to God today with me, yes, I am a sinner, and you say that, yes, I am a sinner, you're saying, whoosh, it's all yours, God. Isn't that cool? Can I get an amen? And then we're done, right? And the pastor says, well, I'm glad you, got, you, you schmucks feel so bad about your sin. I don't. Is that what we do? No. Then what's the pastor do? Now, this is where your Baptist friends get all messed up, okay? Well, who does that pastor think he is forgiving my sins? Who does he think he is? Have you ever heard that? You ever got in the car? Why, why does the pastor say, I forgive you all your sins? I, here's the big question for you who are good Lutheran folks. Am I forgiving your sins? 
or am I conveying what God has already done in the courtroom of heaven? It's the latter. I'm just saying to you on the basis of what Jesus has done through him living for you a perfect life, dying on the cross for your sin, rising again from the dead, on the basis of that, I am proclaiming to you, and this is so cool, that your sins are forgiven. It's powerful, amen? It's powerful. I mean, and many times when we're doing that, especially when that cheesy music is being played over here, that's why we do that, to create a mood, by the way. It's not to be cute or fancy, but music does something. It stills our souls. And when we're playing that music and you're thinking about your depravity and your sin, and all of a sudden I come to you and I say, it's all good. Christ took it upon himself on the cross. Your sins are forgiven. Walk out of this place clean and whole and renewed and refreshed and strengthened because your sins are forgiven. Uh, Who doesn't want to hear that? Right? Who doesn't want to hear that? Oh, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not a sinner. No, you're not thinking that. You're thinking, man, I'm a schmuck. I've broken God's commands. It's good to know that I'm still okay with God. And that's kind of the way some of you guys put it. It's good to know I'm still okay with God. It's good to know I'm still part of his family. It's good to know I'm still an heir of his kingdom. Good to know I'm still headed to heaven. Good to know that Jesus shed his blood for me on the cross. And because of that, I stand in a right relationship with God. It is good to hear that. Publicly, from the lips of a fellow believer. Now, what we do publicly, and by the way, I'm called to do that publicly. That's part of my job. You guys have called us, Pastor Tim and I, to do that publicly. What we do publicly, you can do privately. Or, here's another thing, and I can count on two hands how many times this has happened in my ministry, but somebody will call me, they're really burdened by their guilt, they feel a lot of shame, they make an appointment with me, they come into my office, they confess their sin, and as they're confessing their sin, I'm looking at them and I'm saying this, man, you shouldn't have done that, man, you really screwed up. Am I saying that? I can't believe you're telling me that. Boy, I'd never do that. Oh, man, as these folks are sharing their heart with me, I'm tearing up because so many times I've done some of that stuff. And then, listen to this, and then when I tell them that God knows all about it, but he nailed it to the cross with his son, and I proclaim to them that they are forgiven, whoosh, tears just come. Every, every time, I kid you not, every time, now, I'm going to answer that question. If, if you walk in your baptism and you tell yourself you're forgiven and you know Christ and you know you're headed to heaven, then why, why do you do this confession absolution thing in worship? Here's why. Because there's something powerful about one human being communicating to another human being that their sins are forgiven. And I want to ask you a question. How often does that happen in the week for you? Do you have anybody that comes to you during the week and says, hey, I don't know what you've done this week, but I want you to know Jesus died for all your stuff. Do you have anybody doing that? How many of you have somebody doing that? Raise your hand. Hmm. I validate my point, right? That's why it's so powerful. Because you know I'm a sinner. I told you a story in my life of being a schmuck by nature. I mess up. I I love 
being able to tell you, along with myself, that my sins are forgiven. When I've talked to Pastor Tim or Pastor Larry or some confidant in our church, my wife, about my depravity and my sin, it is powerful to hear another human being say that I'm still okay in God's eyes. And so you see, this is, this is why we do this. The Baptist church doesn't do this. The Episcopalian church doesn't do this. The Presbyterian church doesn't do this. Big box churches don't do this. You come in, you worship God, you sing praises, you hear a great speech, and then you go. For me, from my perspective, what we do in worship is powerful. And I shared this with you last week, and I'll share it again. It's rooted in the early church. What we do with the invocation, the benediction, apostles' creed, Lord's Prayer, Lord's Supper, Confession, Absolution. We've been doing this for 2,000 years in the church. 2,000 years. This is why we do it. But bottom line is, there's something powerful and transcendent to hear one human being say to other sinful human beings, it's all good. You're covered. You're forgiven. Now, if you don't like that, you can walk out during confession absolution. But I guarantee you, we all like that. I don't know if this flies, if this applies. Have you ever had, have you ever had a meeting when you're growing up with your dad and you're expecting it to be really good, but it wasn't? How many of you have had that meeting with your dad growing up? Raise your hand. Okay, you expected that. Come on, guys, get your hand up. Okay, yeah, you expected the meeting to be good. I can remember my dad said, son, I want to talk to you after your game. And I struck out four times in this game. And he came to me, and I love my dad. He's a wonderful, great, godly man. But he said these words. You just can't hit the curveball, son. <laughs> you just can't. And that was the end of the conversation. Does God come to you and say, you really messed up this week? Ain't, no, exactly. You really messed up this week. Go in peace. Have a good week. End of conversation. Do you see how powerful the word of absolution, the word of forgiveness is in worship. So here's, here's where we apply it now to your life. So what do you do then? You leave this place, number one, cleansed. You're thankful for the cleansing blood of Christ. You're thankful for the proclamation that you are forgiven in the eyes of God because of Jesus Christ. So you walk out of this place free and forgiven and that weight, that burden of sin lifted from your shoulders, you walk out cleansed. That's a great way to leave the church. Secondly, you walk out amending your sinful life. In other words, whatever you've struggled with in the past, you've received God's cleansing power through Christ, you walk out of here saying, I don't want to commit that sin again. Okay, let me say this again. You walk out, let me say this again, let me have your attention. You walk out of this place saying, I don't want to do that again. And if you do do that again, you're banished for the, from the kingdom, right? I know I lost your attention a little bit. That's why I said that. I know that. So listen. So you mend your sinful life. You walk out of this place. You find yourself doing the very same thing you confessed. God's grace is still upon you. But I, I love what one guy said. He said, if you're struggling with sin, you've already won the battle. 
Did you hear that? If you're struggling with sin and temptation in your life, you're already winning the battle. It's when you quit fighting that you've lost. I know that some of you have said, well, I confess the same old sin over and over and over again, and then I find myself doing the very same thing I confessed. I'm glad nobody in the Scriptures had that problem. The Apostle Paul said, the good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I want to avoid is the very thing I find myself doing. Can you identify with that? Yes. Can I identify with that? Yes. So you leave this place not only cleansed, but amending your sinful life, trying to do better, trying to honor God in that area of your life that you've confessed. And sometimes you're going to lose, and that's why you come back to church hearing once again God's undeserved Mighty, wonderful love revealed through his son. And finally, number three, you share it. We call this the office of the keys. The proclamation of the gospel doesn't belong to Pastor Dave. The proclamation of the gospel belongs to the church. And so when you take the grace of God into your heart, and there's someone in your life who says, I feel so bad about my wrongs. Usually they don't say sin, because sin's not a real popular word today, right? They say, I feel so bad about some stuff. I feel guilty. I feel shameful. Can you tell me any good news? And you say, no, I really can't. No, I don't have any good news for you. Except maybe you better get your life together like I've got mine. No, do you say that? What do you say? They say, I feel so shameful, so guilty. I've messed up. Then you say what I say to you guys. You're forgiven, yes. Jesus died for that. It's like the Holy Spirit opens this door for you to share your faith. Now, I asked you before, has anybody shared that with you this week? Probably not, because a lot of times we're not that disclosing. But this is what we do with the gospel. When we take the gospel to the streets, we bump into people all the time who feel bad about their life. And they might even tell you so. And when they tell you so, then you take that opportunity and you say, Jesus died for that, man. He shed his blood in full payment for that on the cross. And I declare to you that in the courtroom of heaven, your sins are forgiven. Can we give God a hand for that right now? Yeah. Is that not awesome? We call this the office of the keys, that the keys of the kingdom are given to you as people come to you broken and battered and shattered by their sin and feeling guilty. You share the gospel. It opens up the kingdom to them. It's a key that opens up the kingdom. That's why we call it the office of the keys. Okay. So, in summary, I asked a question 20 minutes ago. Why do we do this in a public worship service? Because there's something powerful. There's something powerful about one human being saying to another human being, your sins are forgiven. Got it? Let me say that again. Got it? Got it. Okay. Take it out with you. So, when I got in the ministry... 36 years ago. I'd been in the ministry for about two months. And suddenly I got a phone call at one o'clock in the morning from one of my members. He went on to tell me on the phone that he had gotten in a fight 
that night in a bar, had gotten drunk, had taken a, a beer bottle and bashed it over the bar, and then started swinging it wildly in front of a whole bunch of folks in this bar. They had to restrain him. They called the cops. They took him to a, a prison, a jail, in a little place called uh, Fairbury, Nebraska, 25 miles away from Tobias. He said, I've called my wife and she won't bail me out. This has happened far too many times. I've embarrassed my wife and my family. She's going to let me sit here. Pastor Dave, I'm asking if you would kindly come and bail me out. Called one of my elders. I said, can I use the church credit card? He said, sure. So I went down there, 2 o'clock in the morning, $1,000 on the church credit card. We hardly talked at all on the way back to his house. I was getting ready to turn into his house, and he said this, Pastor Dave, don't, don't turn here. He said, I want to I go to church. I want you to absolve me in church. I said, okay. So we went to the sanctuary, Zion Lutheran Church, Tobias, Nebraska, 2.30 in the morning, turned on the lights. He sat in the front pew. And this was a stubborn German guy, you know, cried like a baby. He said, I feel so much shame. I feel so much guilt. Pastor, I, I've blown it. I've messed up. I've sinned against God and sinned against my family. I'm not worthy to be called a child of God. I confess my sins to God tonight. And what did I say? You're forgiven, man. Christ died for that. And all the sins of your life, they've all been paid for by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I declare to you tonight, Joey, his name wasn't Joey, but Joey, I proclaim to you tonight that your sins are forgiven. And right then he cried even more. Because there's something powerful about one human being saying to another human being, your sins are forgiven. He said, but pastor, that's not enough. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Now, I can tell you, I've never celebrated the Lord's Supper at 2.30 in the morning since then. But we did that. And I, I was so moved by this as I was extending him, as he was kneeling in front of the Lord's altar, and I was giving him the wafer, I was shaking like a leaf. It was so profoundly powerful. I didn't finish the story in the first service, and I should have. That man never drank again. He was done. The cleansing power, the blood of Christ, had truly freed him from the shackles of that illness. The reason I share that story with you is there's something powerful about one human being sharing with another human being that their sins are forgiven. And this is why we do what we do in worship.